ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Straight Talking English. I am your host, Catherine, STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.co.uk, where you can support the show, where you can buy the books, including the one that links to this particular episode, which is Remains and Mother Any Distance, though the book that's up mostly focuses on Remains, I'm still writing Mother Any Distance, and you can also check out the context videos that go along with this series. Right, deceptively jolly tone at the start, I am just going to let you know, massive, massive, massive content warning, because the second half of this episode is dealing with remains. We are going to be talking about issues of mental health, post-traumatic stress disorder, drug abuse and murder. Quite a lot of murder, actually. It's pretty grim listening. So... If that is something that is going to ruin your day, don't worry about that. Turn it off. Have a lovely day. Right, let's get cracking with Mother Any Distance. Have a listen to this reading from Freya. She is part of two fabulous bands called Dispute Settlement Mechanism and We Are a Communist. You can check out both those bands on Bandcamp. So, take it away, Freya. Mother Any Distance by Simon Armitage Mother Any distance greater than a single span requires a second pair of hands. You come to help me measure windows, pelmets, doors, the acres of the walls, the prairies of the floors. You at the zero end, me with the spool of tape, recording length, reporting metres, centimetres, back to base, then leaving up the stairs, the line still feeding out, unreeling years between us, anchor, kite. I spacewalk through the empty bedrooms, climb the ladder to the loft to breaking point, where something has to give. Two floors below, your fingertips still pinch the last one hundredth of an inch. I reach towards a hatch that opens on an endless sky, to fall or fly. Lovely reading. Let's think about where this one comes from. The great thing about the fact that Armitage is alive is the fact that we can actually ask him and find out about his creative process. In an interview in 2019, he opened up with a Guardian journalist saying, If I knew where poems came from, I'd probably go out and get more of them than I have already. I'm just not sure where they come from is the answer to that question. I suppose sometimes there's an idea that I'm passionate about. It might be a political idea and I feel as if I want to write about it. Or language might come along and I might overhear something and I want to take that language on, take it further. But I think probably at the base of it is some kind of urge, you know. There is an urge to write, to create something, to express yourself. I think that's probably at the very pit of it for me because I've had occasions when I've felt the urge to write with nothing to write about. When I've sort of gone out and got the poem, I've gone looking for it because I've been in that mood so... There's a mystery element to it, and maybe on top of that mystery element for me, something to do with my background, I don't know, there's some sense of having to get on with something and not just sit around and do nothing. I've always been someone who's worked or had a proper job, and I suppose I've always felt that once I've declared myself a poet, I should be getting on with it. I tend to think that poems come pre-packaged, and that's when the idea suggests itself to me, the form it comes with it. I sort of see it in my mind's eye, particularly with poems that come as blocks of text, you know, that look like gravestones or something like that, or those that come as quatrains or look like hymns. 
they don't always stay in that form because when I start writing I'll sometimes notice there's a pattern of language perhaps a rhyme or repetition that might suggest some further you know physical form or shape on the page but I think I do imagine these things to be predetermined in some way they are somehow in concert with the whole idea of the poem and with the style of the poem because I don't think I will ever embark on a poem unless I knew its style style is everything to me in writing you know, the subject is almost, well, it's not kind of insignificant, but the style is the main thing. I think that's what people are interested in in poems. There's a kind of fictional Simon Armitage that pops up in a lot of the poems, even those that seem overtly autobiographical. Poets are always complaining that when they use the word I in a poem, readers are very quick to assume that you know these are confessional in some way and it's not always the case but at the same time i think poets are aware that i word is a useful little barb in a poem to catch hold of a reader's attention i suppose i tend to think there are two versions of me there's a sort of literary simon armitage that i read about in newspapers not always in glowing terms and he makes me smile and then there's my other life my kind of home life which is decidedly non-literary and I'm always playing with the persona of the literary Simon Armitage in the poems and maybe these two characters sort of blur a little bit. That's Armitage's take on where things come from. Cool, reasonable, I'm really happy that he's explaining his process. He's very aware that his poems are set in schools and he likes to make things quite open but Mother Any Distance, and this is like the reason I'm doing this as a double episode, because there's not much to Mother Any Distance. Mother Any Distance is based on a real thing. It's based on when he moved from home. But you know what? Let's hand it over to Simon Armitage, and he's going to tell us himself in this clip from a live reading of Mother Any Distance. This is another poem about about leaving home, about moving on. It's, I guess it's a rite of passage poem. And I'm remembering that when I left home, I only got about six doors down the road to a rented house. And my mum followed me down the road. And she'd come along to help me m measure up for carpets and curtains and things like that. And she brought uh, a tape measure with her. And I'd gone up into the top of the house to open a, a skylight. This is a, a window up in the, up in the roof space. And the house was rented, and I just wanted to let some air and some light into it. And I'd taken the tape measure with me, or at least I'd taken one end of it. Because when I looked back down through the stairwell, my mum was stood at the bottom, holding onto the other end, as if I was sort of tethered to her. So I'm just trying to position myself here, right on that very moment, on, on the very ledge of my life, where I'm about to launch off on my own, and I'm, I'm wondering whether I'm going to make a success of myself or, or whether I'm just going to sort of fall flat on my face. So there you go. That is literally the story of Mother Any Distance. It does not take very long, to be honest. And actually in the original book, it doesn't even have a title. Mother Any Distance is the name given to it in the GCSE anthology, seemingly from nowhere. Moving swiftly, swiftly on to Remains. Before we start, if you would like to know a little bit more about actual poets working with soldiers, look back at my anniversary specials for when I interviewed poet Paul Lyles, because he actually did a lot of work with soldiers in poetry so you can hear it from the horse's mouth as it were not calling you a horse of course paul right some revision guides and revision notes i've found have said that remains is based on one particular dude 
that is not true armitage did work with a set of afghanistan veterans who not veterans from afghanistan veterans who had served in the conflict in afghanistan and it was based on their collective experiences that he invented this character in remains the character in remains that Armitage portrays very clearly has post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD towards the end of the poem and it's a disservice to people who do suffer from PTSD just to chuck that in as your context if you're writing or teaching this because it is a very complex condition i'm quoting from the american psychiatric association and they define ptsd as a psychiatric disorder that can occur in people who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event such as a natural disaster a serious accident a terrorist act war or combat rape or other violent personal assault ptsd has been known by many names in the past such as shell shock during the years of world war one and combat fatigue after world war ii just a side note interesting link back to wilfred owen because he was hospitalized at craig lockhart for shell shock but ptsd does not just happen to combat veterans ptsd can occur in all people in people of any ethnicity nationality or culture and any age ptsd affects approximately 3.5 percent of u.s adults and an estimated one in 11 people will have diagnosed ptsd in their lifetime women are twice as likely as men to have ptsd the people with ptsd have intense disturbing thoughts and feelings related to their experience that last long after the traumatic event has ended they may relive the events through flashbacks or nightmares they may feel sadness fear or anger they may feel detached or estranged from other people people with ptsd may avoid situations or people that remind them of the traumatic event they may have strong negative reactions to something as ordinary as a loud noise or accidental touch a diagnosis of diagnosis of ptsd requires exposure to an upsetting traumatic event however exposure could be indirect rather than firsthand for example ptsd could occur in an individual learning about a violent death of a close family member it can also occur as a result of repeated exposure to horrible details of trauma such as police officers exposed details of child abuse cases so the portrayal that armitage gives this soldier the drink and the drugs won't flush him out he's behind enemy lines he's always looking at me yeah that is appearing to be quite typical and it is seeming like the context of the real soldiers he met did very much inform this poem i'm going to share with you three soldiers experiences all of these are american soldiers who have served in different conflicts and their interviews come courtesy of the amazing charity make the connection which is encouraging veterans to seek psychological help for problems that they may have experienced as a result of war have a listen to these three guys and tell me tell me that the context of their experiences does not resonate with the character of our soldier my name is daniel i was in the united states army and i was in there from 96 to 2000 i was an airborne infantry with the 82nd airborne Pretty prestige, hardcore, badass job. Two years into the military, I came home because uh, a, a, a best friend had taken his own life. Six years later, I buried my brother-in-law for the same thing through PTSD and mixing alcohol with his medication. That was like an eye-opener for me because I was doing that same thing. I was, I was taking meds that were being prescribed and I was mixing them 
with anything and everything I could get my hands on. Kind of snowball everything. That affected my wife, um, affected my marriage, affected my uh, relationship with my children. I had gotten a DUI um, with my eight-month-old child in the car. It led to you know, my wife kicking me out multiple times. I chose sleeping in a VA parking lot or you know, the VA park bench and then sleeping at home in my bed with my wife and kids. My two teenage sons were looking into changing their last name. It's how much harm I'd caused. I was building my hole deeper and digging it deeper and deeper. My name is David. I was in the Army, helicopter pilot in the Vietnam era. I came back from uh, Vietnam and went to a flight school as an instructor. I was with a lot of Vietnam returnees, Vietnam veterans. Being in a military environment was a much, much easier transition than some of the other guys had. I was angry that the country was so against us. I was very proud of what I had done. We got back to Traverse Air Force Base and we were in a prison dress, bus with screening on the windows. And I'm thinking, what is this all about? And we drove off the base into the main road highway and the protesters were lined up throwing things at the bus. In Vietnam, we were, we were sheltered from that. We knew a little bit about what was going on, but didn't know to the extent. I was 21 years old and didn't understand why. It was tough, hard to, hard to deal with. My wife, um, she was my age, she was young, and did not want to hear about uh, trauma, did not want to hear about the problems I was dealing with. No one was really talking about their problems. No one was talking about trauma. We all told a lot of war stories that got better as the years went on, but nobody talked about their uh, things they were dealing with, including me. I, mean, I still had the anger, I still had the uh, addictions. I was a thrill junkie. I was just constantly looking for that adrenaline rush that I experienced in, uh, in Vietnam. It was tough because I tried to live two lives at home, uh, trying to raise a family and go to church and have uh, a social life. I was totally unsettled, totally unsettled, totally angry, and then would, would look forward to uh, the other life and doing, getting back on the edge. I had uh, a, lot of, a lot of nightmares in the beginning, first 20 years. Had a lot of trouble sleeping, um, was very uncomfortable, was very unsettled in my marriage. It ended um, after 18 years, 17, 18 years, just um, mostly because of me. I didn't realize uh, that I needed help and neither did she. My name is Marcos, uh, I was a Marine and uh, I was an infantryman while I was in. I uh, served three tours in Iraq. First deployment uh, was during the invasion and it was really just, ha everything happened so fast and, and um, just coming straight out of infantry school, being exposed to, uh, to combat right off the, right off the bat was, uh, was definitely a shock. But things were moving at such a fast pace, I really didn't have time to think about anything. Uh, I think after my third deployment, uh, I lost uh, two buddies of mine that were in my squad to a suicide uh, bomber. It really made me question um, really the importance of life and how also how, how things can end really quickly. I had been talking to them one minute and literally, you know, about 20 seconds later, they're gone. 
And I think a, a lot of what was on my mind was that, you know, we had plans when we got out. We were gonna go to school together, we were gonna you know, maybe get an apartment together and just live life. You know, and in a shadow instant, that's, that's gone. You know, especially coming from an infantry background where you're out, you know, 24-7, patrols, whatever the case is. It, it was very difficult for me to comprehend that I could go outside of my house at, you know, two, three in the morning um, without a weapon and be able to walk the streets and nothing was going on. I could hear a pin drop and it was very unsettling. The peace was very uh, unsettling. You know, just trying to get used to not having a schedule, not having someone to answer to, not having people under me that are looking for leadership or guidance or, or whatever the case. I think that was probably the, one of the biggest issues, just not having a direction. At the time, I really didn't know what PTSD was or any of these mental issues that you know, are now um, very, uh, you know, they're out in the media and very uh, popularized. But uh, I think everything relating to my PTSD was pointed out by somebody else, either a friend or a family member, um, only because I, the way I reacted to situations was very aggressive. In the military, especially in the infantry, when you're out on the street, you're taught to you know, escalate, escalation of force to escalate situations, you know, and that's how I would view my situation and my relationships um, while I was in the States as a civilian. So that's how I would go from zero to 60, and my voice would be at what most would perceive a yell. So people would ask me, why are you getting so mad? And I'm like, I'm not mad. This is just how I talk. So I, I was completely oblivious to any of that. One of the things that I was dealing with, um, and still is an issue um, today, is being around um, groups of people. You know, which was a, obviously if you're going on a school campus, it's kind of hard not to be around groups of people. And I felt that I couldn't go anywhere with and, and having my with having my back uh, exposed. You know, people walking behind me that I didn't know. Um, so I'd often, you know, turn around, check as we say in the, in the military, you know, checking my six, um, making sure that nothing. Um, Shady was going on behind me. My self-medication was riding motorcycles. You know, it's pretty much a cliche, you know, Marine, fast motorcycle, whatever the case. Um, so that's how I dealt with it. And, you know, I was, I was dealing with it. I was going, you know, 120 down the street, on public street, and uh, you know, made a wrong move and, and went down pretty hard, probably at 80 miles an hour. And as I'm laying there on my, on my back, uh, I'm, at that point, I'm, I'm starting to realize, like, all these things that are going on, my aggressiveness toward others, you know, me yelling, me staying up at all hours of the night, you know, partying, um, just really dangerous behavior. Uh, I noticed that there might be something going on, but still at this point, I'm really ignorant to, to what it is. I just know that something's going on. I'm not like everybody else, and it's not just because I was in the military or whatever, but my experiences might have played a part in some way, shape, or form to how I'm acting now, which is becoming self-destructive. So, based on these very, very moving stories, we can conclude that the context of our poem, a veteran suffering from PTSD because of what he might have done, is indeed very realistic. The question remains, though, about whether the attack that killed the looter was a murder or whether it was unintentional. So these three guys look at each other, then open fire. Is this, as our speaker suggested, a technique of just escalate, escalate everything? Or is our speaker tormenting himself for a murder? Well, that's kind of 
at the heart of the poem. He did something wrong, but was it a premeditated murder? Was it just something in the field of war? It took a lot of research to try and find a story I could bring you of a soldier who did commit what is now considered to be a murder in the name of war. His name is Robert Bales and he committed what is now considered to be a massacre. I'm going to play you a little bit of a news clip reporting on his trial. Content warning is a little bit of grim listening but if we want an example of a soldier who did commit murder that he felt was appropriate then this is our guy. Staff Sergeant Robert Bales told the military court his rampage on March 11, 2012 was premeditated and without justification. Bales' voice cracked slightly as he read the charges with each victim's name. The judge then asked him, what was your reason for killing them? Bales replied, as far as why, I have asked that question a million times since then. There's not a good reason in this world for why I did the horrible things I did. Bales said that after he struggled with an elderly woman, he decided to quote, murder anyone that he saw. He said he doesn't remember setting 10 of the bodies on fire, but he admitted that given the evidence, it's the only thing that makes sense. In November, an Afghan journalist working for CBS News spoke with this 15-year-old survivor of the massacre. We heard gunshots, he said. My uncle, my little cousin, and my grandmother were killed. I was told to put my hands on the wall, and then he shot my sister in the head. He is broken. He was broken, and, and, we, and we broke him. John Henry Brown is Bale's attorney. He says four tours in Afghanistan and Iraq left 39-year-old Bales with post-traumatic stress disorder. He joined the Army in 2001 after his financial services business failed. Bales has a wife and two children. Brown says Bales is worried about a backlash against U.S. soldiers still in Afghanistan. He's very concerned about the soldiers on the ground. Uh, he's very concerned about Afghan people and wants to apologize. The United States has formally apologized for the killings, and the villagers have told us the families of the victims were paid a total of $700,000. Sergeant Bales now faces life in prison. He'll be sentenced in August, and parole is still a possibility. Scott, if he gets life with parole, that means he could serve as few as 10 years behind bars. So where do we stand here at the end of Remains? Well, we can just look at the title to get the main messages of what he's talking about in terms of the context. On one hand, we're dealing with physical remains, we're dealing with the aftermath of war. Remains as in bodies, but remains as in, like, objects that are associated with war. On the other hand, we're talking about memory, what remains after the war in our consciousness. It's both a noun and a verb, but that's kind of why this poem is so interesting. The context of Mother Any Distance, super self-explanatory. Context of Remains is seemingly self-explanatory, but do not be tempted if you are writing about this, if you're teaching this, just to chuck in, he's got PTSD and he feels sad after going to somewhere that has a desert, when actually we could talk about this in a lot more detail about how this incident is portrayed as affecting the speaker's psyche thus ends my ted talk on why we should not do a disservice to people who do suffer ptsd and also think about how war affects real people as well as our fictional speaker all right on that slightly miserable note i will leave you 
straighttalkingenglish.co.uk click the button to support the show you can buy me a coffee you can become a patreon you can also see a backlog of all my podcast episodes and buy the book aqa poetry power and conflict the full context which goes along with this episode thank you very very much everyone for bearing with me and listening i'll be back next week to talk about the poem everybody loves to hate tissue have a great week Thank you.